encourage you to bow with me in prayer. Shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, your grace is amazing. And each one of us here has experienced your grace in many, many ways. Your grace is sweet. It is powerful. It is restorative. It is refreshing. It is altogether lovely. And Lord, this morning we praise you that we have experienced your grace through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, what a week we have experienced. What a week of grace upon our nation. And we thank you for all that we've come through this week. And we praise you for your touch upon our country. And we praise, praise you and pray as we go forth for the, those who are new in the legislature, those who are new in the Congress and the Senate. And we pray for our new president and his cabinet. We pray, God, that as this new year begins, so there might be a fresh start in our nation and around the world as we seek to establish peace, as we seek to reach out and touch others with the bounty that we have. We ask your blessing upon our country and upon our leaders. Father, we've been praying for a ceasefire in Gaza, and we thank you this morning that that has come. And we pray for the leaders as they continue to wrestle with peace in the Middle East and peace in Jerusalem and Gaza and beyond, we lift up again this precious region of your country and ask for your help. Lord, in this hour, we've come to worship you, to fellowship with one another, to open our lives and minds to your spirit. And we pray now that you might teach us and speak to us. Lord, we don't know whether we've got one day to live or one month or one year or decades But help us to live wisely and well in whatever time it is that we have. And we do want to give you the glory and praise and help us to learn how to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm enjoying this series, uh, One Week, uh, One Month to Live. And whether you've got a month or many months, we don't know. But I'm glad you're here to worship with me today. And thanks again to Antonia for the historical piece. A number of... You have commented on how wonderful the service was last week as we looked at the theme for last week, and it was a good service. In fact, I was thinking, I've never preached a better sermon in all my life. That really was a great sermon. In fact, I've listened to a lot of sermons as well, and I don't think I've ever heard a better sermon than that. Um, In fact, come to think about it, I don't think anybody's ever preached a better sermon than I preached last Sunday. I'm not sure why CNN or Channel 4 News wasn't here. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me this year if Time Magazine doesn't select me as one of the best preachers in America. If they don't, it's only because they haven't heard my sermons on the Internet or something like that. Why, did you hear me last week? It was simply breathtaking. Well, have you had enough yet? You want me to go on? Bill's being kind to go on here. Um, what's wrong with these first two paragraphs of my conversation today? Well, one thing that's wrong with it is that I used me, my, I at least 12 times in this brief conversation, talking about myself. <clears throat> Another thing that, that's wrong is it demonstrates hubris. Do you know what hubris is? Well, hubris is an excessive sense of pride, arrogance, ego, in excess, hubris. Benjamin Franklin, when he was in his 20s, decided that he did want to live wisely and well, and 
even as a young man, he made a list of virtues. And he said, I'm going to live by these things. And he made this list. And as he made his list, he not only made the list, but he took a sheet of paper and he would write a virtue on the top of each page. And then as he came home in the evening, he would look at those virtues and he would ask himself, how well did I do today? And he would make notes. In fact, sometimes he would emphasize a particular virtue for the whole week. And let me give you a list of the things that were on Benjamin Franklin's list. Uh, And this again, he started this when he was in his 20s. He said, temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, and chastity. Those were, that was the list that he made. And as he began to live by this list, he was so excited about it, or proud, that he began to share it with other people. And one of the persons, a friend of his, that he was sharing this list with, he went over the list and he talked about how he was doing, and uh, the Quaker friend listened quite well. And when Ben finally, finally wound down and said, what do you think? The Quaker was quiet for a while, and he said, you missed something. He said, I missed something? How could I miss anything? And the Quaker friend went on to point out examples in Ben's life where he was very proud and boastful. And then he said, you missed humility. And Benjamin Franklin, at the advice of his friend, added humility to his list as the last item to work on. Well, this month, if you're a guest here, we're, we're asking the question, if we only had one month to live, what would we change? And as we begin the new year, our goal is to live wisely and well. And, of course, our example is Jesus. And we begin by looking at Jesus' life and some of the things that were characteristics or principles of Jesus' life. And the first one we looked at was that we wanted to live passionately because Jesus lived passionately. Now, passion doesn't just mean that Jesus waved his arms and he got real loud and ran around in a hurry all the time. That's not what we mean by passion. It could be passion, but that's not what we mean. In the Gospel of John, we read uh, over and over, Jesus says, I've come to do the Father's will. And he was passionate about doing what God wanted him to do. And we tried to focus on that kind of passion to live our life as God wants us to live life. Now, last week we talked, when I preached that great sermon, uh-huh. nobody's gagging yet, um, Last week, we talked about love completely. How can we love like Jesus loved? And we challenged ourselves with that. This week, we're talking about learn humbly. Now, Time Magazine did a series on uh, Benjamin Franklin's virtues a while back. And in it, they quoted Franklin, who, and they said he never quite got humility down. He worked at it, but he never quite got it down. And Franklin said this, quote, There is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It's still alive and well, and every now and then will peep out and show itself. This battle with pride was a challenge to him and amusing to him all his life, and he wrote some things about it. And he said this, even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I would probably be 
proud of my humility. And therein is the problem. Uh, some s- sentences about humility that I found that I want to share with you to try and get our heads around. What are we talking about when we talk about humility? Someone said humility is like underwear. It's essential but indecent if it shows. <laughs> Someone else said humility is greatness in plain clothes. Moving off the underwear theme. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, after crosses and losses, men grow humbler and wiser. Ladies, would that be true of you as well? I think so. After crosses and losses. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, or some would say, you can translate that humble. Jesus was quoting a Jewish psalm when he said this. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, Somewhat, this next statement reflects C.S. Lewis's writings and my own thinking, but humility is really not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking about yourself at all. Humility. How are we going to learn humility? One of the things we do when we come to church, I hope, is that we come to learn. I hope that you're here in some way to be able to open up this book and to learn from the pages of Scripture what God has to say to us. Now, we're here to fellowship. That's good. We're here to worship God. That's good. We're here to pray. But we're also here to learn because if we are a disciple of Jesus, we are a learner, aren't we? We are to try and begin to more and more align our lives with the way Jesus would have us live. That's called learning. So this morning, we're going to work at this issue of learning humility. Now, you have an outline in your worship folder. I encourage you to follow along with that if you'd like to. And um, let's talk about this issue of humility. Now, what we're one other thing before we get into it. What I'm talking about today is really countercultural. We're going to swim upstream. It's like trying to climb a big hill. When you go outside here, if you go to the universities, if you go to colleges, if you read secular literature, they're not going to talk about humility. Secular philosophers don't even use the word. Or if they do, they use it in a negative way. And so what we're talking about this morning is really not something that society out there is going to talk to you about. And if they do, they're going to be against it. So again, we're swimming upstream, we're going countercultural. But you know this book is a revolutionary book. You understand that, right? It's going to turn your world upside down. And in the Bible, throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, this word is used over and over again, humility, to be humble. So we're going to look at that a bit today. Now, there are two things I hope to accomplish. One is I hope that you get a little exposure to the Bible. We can't go through all the 60 or 70 verses on humility. But I hope you get a little exposure to what the Bible says and you learn a bit about humility. Secondly, I hope that I stir up within you a desire to wrestle with this subject of humility. So that's our goal. Now, before we get into the outline that you've got before you, uh, I'd like your help. The problem with wrestling with humility, the minute we say, I've got it, we don't. So I'd like you to turn to your neighbor. We're going to do this both ways. So I'd like you to say to your neighbor, I've got it, and the neighbor's going to respond, no, you don't. And then flip it around, okay? I've got it, and then no, you don't. Okay, thank you. How in the world do we learn humility? 
Well, let me point you in some directions. I don't know that I have an answer to that question, but one place to begin, as Antonia mentioned and was illustrated in the, in the life of John Newton, and as uh, our brother Robin so wonderfully also expressed, one of the places to begin is we learn a bit about humility from life's losses. From life's losses. What do I mean there? Well, I mean, as Robin shared with you in a very humble way, some learning that took place in his life a few years ago and what God did there. It takes humility to look at your life and say, whoa, I need to make some changes. It takes humility. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was wearing this thing called a countryman. And I've been struggling with a bit of a cold. My throat's not quite right. And so now and then I just have to cough. And you were here two weeks ago. I coughed. And you can cough pretty good into this thing, and everybody comes about a foot off the bench. Now, that was a little embarrassing for me. I really didn't mean to do that, but it happened. And the reality is that we can learn something about humility from life's losses. Let me give you one example from the Bible. In Daniel chapter 4, there's the story of the king... Uh, who rules over Babylon. He's a very powerful, influential man. He has a dream. He doesn't understand the dream. So he calls the wise people of Babylon, and they say to him, King, I don't know what it means either. But he knows there's this young man who had been taken out of Israel and brought to Babylon. He was in exile, and his name is Daniel. And he seems to have a gift for interpreting dreams. So he calls Daniel, and Daniel has the rough job of telling the king what the dream means. It's a dream about a tree. And you can read about it in Daniel chapter 4. I won't get into the details. But at the end of the dream, Daniel says, and this was the rough part of Daniel's job, he says, King, you're sinning against God, and you need to repent, and you need to start taking care of the oppressed people in your kingdom. King says, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, thanks for interpreting the dream. Now, I want to pick up reading in Daniel chapter 28, or chapter 4, uh, verse 28, because it's very interesting. Uh, this is after the dream, after Daniel's talk to the king. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, that would be how long? About a year. That's after the dream, after the warning. Twelve months later, as the king was walking around on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, the king said to himself, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? That's what the king says as he walks around on top of his penthouse looking over the city of Babylon. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven out from the people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives to them whatever he wishes. Immediately, as, he, as had been said about Nebuchadnezzar, it was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and he ate grass like the cattle. His body was drenched with the dew from heaven until his hair grew out like the feathers of an eagle and the nails grew like the claws of a bird. Can you picture this king who's gone insane? He goes out and he lives with the animals and he's there at night as the dew falls and his hair gets wet and long and matted and scraggly and his 
his nails uh, grow out and they curl around like claws. And that's King Nebuchadnezzar. And he wanders like a madman. He is a madman. Now, God was merciful to him and touched his mind and his sanity came back. And listen to this verse from, uh, from Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. It's a great verse. The king has been restored to his palace. He's back home again. He could go up on the rooftop again and look over his city and claim power, but he doesn't do that. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify who? The king of heaven. Because everything he, that is God, does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in what? In pride he is able to humble. So you and I have a choice on some levels. You can decide to live humbly, or God can help you live humbly. You get my drift? Just read Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel chapter 4. You can live humbly, or God can humble you. You get a choice. The Bible says, uh, there are lots of verses on humility. Let me give you some. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Or the Bible says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. Losses, crosses, frustrations, failures, or just plain old mistakes can help you be a more humble person. My sports hero, Lance Armstrong, had a big dose of humility because he was an arrogant, I won't finish the rest of it, young rider in Europe, and then he got cancer. And he went back a changed person. Losses and crosses and failures can help us learn humility. And when you have a loss or a failure or a sin or a, you, you, we used to call it backsliding or you're in trouble, you can deny it. You can pretend it doesn't happen. You can ignore it. You can say, well, it's somebody else's fault. Or you can say, what do I need to learn from this? And maybe I'll just live a little more humbly now. When Benjamin Franklin's friend confronted him about his pride, he agreed, yes, I'm pretty proud, Phil, and I need to learn humility. And he began to work on it. And I want to encourage you to work on it as well. Now, we talk about learning humility. We can learn from our losses. What else? It leads me to notice this. Humility is a decision about who gets the glory in your life. When old Ben Franklin, and this is after years had gone by, when he got the idea to start a library, you know he's the father of modern libraries. When old Ben Franklin decided to start libraries, he, he... realized he needed some funds. So he began to talk to his friends, and rather than making this his project and his idea, he enlisted lots of people and gave them the credit and the glory so that as they funded the libraries, they were promoted as, oh, did you know what so-and-so did in our community and the other person? They funded the libraries and they got the credit. Ben Franklin had learned something about humility. Someone has said, there's no telling how much good we could do if we didn't care who got the credit. This uh, next Sunday, well, let me give you a picture of John the Baptist before we talk about that. Um, Here's a picture of John the Baptist, and uh, Joyce and I were privileged a few years ago to be in Colmar, France, where there's an astonishing 
altarpiece, a painting by a guy named Matthias Grunewald, and he painted this thing 500 years ago. This is not, this is just a little snippet of the painting. This is actually a part of a much larger painting of the crucifixion. And Christ is hanging on the cross in a very grotesque, disturbing uh, portrait of the crucifixion. And in this painting, John is standing under the cross, and he's pointing like this. Now, why is that? Because you remember John said, he, Jesus, must what? Increase, I must decrease. And that's the idea we're talking about today. And in this painting, John is pointing to the, the death of Jesus. But that's the idea. Paul put it this way in his own life. He said, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul didn't say he wouldn't boast, did he? He said, I'm going to boast in Jesus and in what Jesus has done. Now, I don't know if this will happen or not next week. I'm not a prophet. But Kurt Warner is going to try his best to throw some touchdown passes so that his team, the Cardinals, can win the Super Bowl. He's an old man. And he's been beat up and benched all uh, off and on all his life. But he's also won a Super Bowl before. And so he's going to be there trying to throw a, a touchdown pass. When he does, if he walks off the field like this, what do you think he's doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. And I don't know if he'll do this, but he's pointing to give God the glory. He's a devout Christian who at every interview says, thank Jesus, I could do this. He, why does he do that? He's trying to give God the glory. So humility at least wrestles with the decision, who gets the glory in what I do? Humility is not about not doing anything, and it's not about saying, oh, I'm a little Casper milk toast, and I can't do anything for God. That's not humility. Putting yourself down is not humility. Humility is a decision you make about who gets the glory in your life. Humility is not self-debasement. Secular philosophers like the great Aristotle, he never mentions the word humility. Frederick Nietzsche said about humility, it is a perverted morality. You shouldn't be humble. So again, we're swimming upstream, folks, when we talk about humility in the church. Not everybody believes in it. But the Bible has a lot to say about it. Now, do you suppose a good question might be to ask ourselves, when we do something or write something or say something, when we're active in life, what is this about? Why am I doing this? To check our motives. What's going on here? Why am I trying to do this? For example, for me, why am I preaching this morning? Is the goal of this sermon so that when I walk outside, you'll say, that's a great sermon, Steve. Is the goal of this sermon so that Robin and the board are happy with me and I don't get fired? Or is the goal of my sermon, I say, you know, I sure hope I don't embarrass my wife today. I hope mom and dad are happy today. That's, that's the only thing I'm really thinking about. Now, that may be in my mind. You have no idea, do you? You don't know what I'm thinking about. But if those are my thoughts, those are not the thoughts of humility. And so when we do something, it's not about not doing it or doing it or not about, it's not about not doing things excellent. It's about what's in our mind. Why am I doing this? Who do I hope gets the glory? Or it could be in my mind that I say, you know what? I don't care if anybody remembers this sermon or not, but I hope when they walk outside, they've connected with God that somehow a scripture or something that's been said or an illustration sits in their heart and they go out wrestling with, how am I going to live humbly with God? And if you go out wrestling with this idea of humility, ah, that might be a success for me. And so a question we ask ourselves about humility is, who's getting the glory 
in what I'm doing. Now, uh, one other question this morning. As you wrestle with humility, uh, there is uh, this scripture of Jesus who says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others. See, Jesus didn't say, don't let your light shine. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, humility is a decision about who gets the glory. Humility is also a decision about who's the boss. Who's the boss? I was thinking again of an illustration that comes back to me on this, on this kind of deal about my son, I think I've told you, Nate, who was in kindergarten. And uh, we were in Dallas, Texas, and we got a call from the teacher. And the teacher said, I'm having a little trouble with your son. He doesn't want to do what I tell him. So we sat down, and Nate had told her in class, he, he said, you're not the boss of me. My dad is. And so he wouldn't obey her because she wasn't the boss of him. His dad was. Now, I was glad to hear that he thought I was the boss. He doesn't think that anymore. He quickly grew out of that stage. This was kindergarten. But uh, we sat down and said, you know, Nate, when you're at school, she is the boss of you. Now, the question really is, as adults here, who's the boss of you? Isn't that the question? Who is the boss of you? Humility is a decision about who's the boss. Let me, let me read a very brief scripture. This is from a huge passage, huge, I don't mean long, it's just so significant in Philippians 2. Paul is talking about Jesus coming down from heaven to earth and what he gave up. And Paul puts it like this. Being found in the appearance of a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself. Those are the words we'd underline. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, who was the boss of Jesus? God. Jesus said, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. The boss of Jesus was God. As we gather in small groups during the week, what are we doing? Why do we do this? We just need coffee and donuts? I don't think so. As we gather, we're trying to learn to live like Jesus. As you came to Sunday school today, why are you there? You're trying to open the Bible and learn to live like Jesus. Here, why are you here? Hopefully, among other things, to try and learn to live like Jesus. That's why we're here. And part of that is learning humbly. As you open your Bible this week and read it for yourself, why do you do that? So that you can say, Pastor Steve, I read my Bible every day of the week. That's not a good goal, is it? That'd be a prideful goal. But if you were able to say, you know, Steve, the Lord spoke to me this week about, ah, then Jesus is the boss of you. And that's really the question, isn't it? As we learn humbly, who is the boss of you? So today, we're realizing that uh, humility can come to us through life's lessons. When you mess up, when you sin, when you've fallen down, allow humility to come in and say, God, I'm sorry. And get back on the road and go again. We all make mistakes. And they can be humbling and that can be helpful. Another thing, when we uh, wrestle with what we're doing and why we're doing it, we can ask, well, why am, what are my motives here? Who gets the glory? That's helpful when we think about humility. And then, who is the boss of me? Who is the boss of you? Is it Jesus or someone else? I want to close with a warning. <clears throat> I... I, I was rather disturbed in trying to get this whole message together. How do I talk about humility? And then Tim Keller, who is a Presbyterian pastor in New York City and writes a lot, he wrote an article on humility that really messed me up. And so I'm going to conclude with a warning. Now, Tim Keller says you can't try and be humble. 
that humbles a byproduct of living under God's grace. And so as you understand God's grace and love, and as you're thankful to God, one of the kind of side benefits of that or is you grow in humility. Listen to what Tim wrote. Humility is so shy. If you begin talking about it, it leaves. To even ask the question, am I humble, is to not be so. Mm. Examining your own heart, even for pride, often leads to being proud of your diligence and circumspection. Well, well, what are we to do if we're going to learn humility? Well, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to read an invitation from Jesus, and I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Hmm. And you, if you learn from Jesus how to be gentle and humble in your heart, you just might find rest for your souls. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus' invitation. Come and learn. And I suppose today there may be some of us here who you realize, I've really blown it. You know, I'm flopping around like a dead fish. I don't give God the glory in my life. I'm making mistakes. I'm becoming more prideful, not less. And maybe today you really need to confront this issue of pride and humility and pray and ask God's help that you learn to be humble like Jesus. And we're going to have some prayer counselors here in just a moment that will pray with you. And I think that's the best way to get started on this road. Would you stand and let's pray this prayer together. Will you pray with me? Lord, give us a pure heart that we may meet Thee, a humble heart that we may hear Thee, a heart of love that we may serve Thee, and a heart of faith that we may love Thee. Amen.